0: Welcome to the Sounds of Encouragement, the place for creatives to find encouragement and support to help you stay motivated, creative, and inspired, to use your craft to more fully impact your community. Thank you for tuning into this episode and don't forget to subscribe so you get notified of future episodes. If you find value in these podcasts, please share with friends or colleagues. To keep this production ad-free, please share your support at www.buymeacoffee.com encouragement and share a one-time gift or check out the member levels. I'm your host, Melissa Slocum, and I thrive on encouraging other creatives through teaching music, small business coaching, podcasting, and so much more. Find out more at www.buymeacoffee.com musicgrow.com and subscribe to be part of a growing creative community supporting one another don't forget to check out the links in the show notes and remember i'm here for you so you can be there for those who need you the most enjoy the show Randy Carter is a film and television editor and director. Born in Flint, Michigan, after eight years of serving in the U.S. Navy, he attended the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point and the Vancouver Film School. Based in Los Angeles, Randy has been a professional editor for 25 years. Randy's focus as an editor has always been on the clarity of the storytelling, molding each film until it tells the story in the most interesting way, while never placing style over substance. His credits include films and TV shows for Netflix, Hallmark, Lifetime TV, Ion, Up TV, Sci-Fi Channel, and many others. His latest project is the Lifetime television original film, The Gabby Petito Story, which is based on the harrowing true story that gripped the nation of a woman trapped in an abusive relationship and which ended in her tragic death. In the past few years, Randy has started directing projects as well, including three films for Lifetime Television, but he still considers himself primarily an editor. Please welcome my guest, Randy Carter. Welcome to The Sound of Encouragement. My name is Melissa Slocum, and you just heard about today's guest, Randy Carter. Randy is a longtime friend of mine. We met way back. Okay, maybe I'm dating myself now. Way back in college. (laughs) Way back. Yes, Randy was doing film classes, and I was in the communication department at the same school. We were both at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. We won't say when, because that will date us. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we were both at the same college and we got to know each other through some mutual friends and we've stayed friends and stayed connected, even though Randy has gone off to do such incredible things. So Randy, thank you so much for keeping the friendship going, but also for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I always like to find out about what encouragement has looked like in your life and find out if there were people who were particularly encouraging during your life or if there were moments that were pivotal that were as a result of someone encouraging you in some way that got you to where you are today can you talk about encouragement in your life so far
1: sure part of the part of the issue with me is i you know wanted to be in the film business but i grew up in flint michigan Which is like the rustiest of the Rust Belt cities in the '70s and '80s. Yeah, and trying to think, thinking that you're going to have a film career—it's like a kid saying, "I want to be an astronaut." Sure, but it's not really going to happen. It seems so impossible.
2: Right.
1: And I, uh, so when I graduated from high school, I joined the Navy. I was in the Navy Mm -hmm. for eight years, and that certainly gives you a sense of confidence that. You might not otherwise have, and you feel like there's not anything that you really can't do. I had a few family members who were encouraging to me, but my biggest encouragement actually was a professor at our school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who I his name was Roger Bullis. Yep he was uh, he was in the film department at uh, Stevens Point, and I did a project for him, and he had such great words of encouragement because he said, I, I did everything. I wrote it. I produced it, directed it, edited it. You know, you do everything. Right. One man kind of show. Right. And his comments, I'll never forget his comments. His comments were, the script is okay, which wasn't high praise considering I'd workshopped the script with him <laughs> and he had gotten a lot of input. It "Was the script is okay. <laughs> the acting is pretty bad because it was all of our friends. You yeah. know who. Yeah. And, and you know, they weren't really acting. They were just doing me a favor.
2: Yeah.
1: He said the directing was was okay. But, he said, this is the best edited student film I've seen in 20 years. Wow. And I knew that editing had been the most fun I had had during the whole process, doing everything. And so I said to myself, if I have some talent in this area, and I also enjoyed it a great deal, this is what I should focus on. So when I left there and I went to film school in Vancouver, Uh I went to the Vancouver Film School. I just narrowed in on on editing as my goal, and there I really discovered that it was what I wanted to do. But if it hadn't been for for Roger's encouragement, I'm not sure I would have sort of woken up and realized that editing was what I wanted to do, as opposed to any of the other disciplines, all of which excited me at the time. But he really helped guide me in that direction, and I'm so grateful because it's my passion.
0: Yeah. So when, you, when he said that and when you decided, okay, I'm going to kind of narrow my focus now into editing, then when you went out to Vancouver, did you stay in that? Or did you kind of have to do a little bit of everything again before you were allowed to just hone your editing skills?
1: Well, it's interesting. The school that I went to, every student worked on two projects. Mm-hmm. and there was a lot of competition to be the director. There were four right. projects. Every student worked on two of them, and you, everybody tried to become the director because right. then the directors picked all the crew. Right. And so everybody was making deals with everybody else. If I'm <laughs> directing, I want to like, be the, the director of <laughs> right. photography on your film or I want to be the producer on your film. And so I was lucky because I still wasn't 100% sure, but I was very lucky that I got to direct one film there and I made the deal, I got to edit the other film.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And that, yeah, so I got to do everything I wanted to do. The directing experience wasn't so great for me then. I have since recently started directing again after 25 years of editing yeah. experience, and I'm in a much better place to do that. It wasn't so great there, but my editing experience, once again, coming off of what Roger told me, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. Hmm. And so I really... I don't so much focus on it, but like all my attention was really on all the editing classes, all the post production classes. You took other classes, and you know you learn right. sound and you learn right. production, right. everything else. And I learned all that, which is important. Yeah. But I really focused on editing. And if I can tell a brief story,
0: yes, please.
1: There's a great. This is this, this is not. I don't know if I would call this encouragement, but it was a big lesson for me. In my class was a guy. His name was Nat Bocking. He was an English guy. He, he had been in LA, in Los Angeles, working in the film industry for like 10 years as a art department person doing the props and sets. Right. And he had wanted to be a camera operator. He wanted to be a director of photography,
2: Okay. but
1: he had gotten sort of pigeonholed as an art department guy sure. and hadn't been able to break out. So he saved up enough money, took a year off, came up to the film school. He was easily the most talented guy in our class mm-hmm. without question. And after we graduated, he moved back down to L.A. And I got back in touch with him and he was like, oh, I'm going to be directing a couple of shorts. Do you want to come down and help me? Which is what caused me to come down to L.A. Okay. those shorts never happened because, you know, these things happen. Right. Right. And I kind of lost track with him. But when I caught up with him again, what is he doing? He's back to doing art department. Uh He had been so pigeonholed in the art department. That even though he had these two short films on his resume, because he worked on two, he was the DP on one, he directed another one, he Mm -hmm. also got to do everything he wanted to do. And -hmm. they were the best films. I didn't work on, I worked on, I was the editor on the one he DP'd, but they were two of the best films we did that year. But he was pigeonholed and he couldn't get out of it. So when I moved to LA, I said to myself, I'll take any job as long as it's in post-production. Okay. I'll I'll sweep the editing room floor, I'll go get coffee for editors, I'll do anything like that. But I'm not gonna be in the art department or the camera department or any other department, because if I'm going to get pigeonholed, it's going to be in post-production. And that's what I did. And that was helpful. That Mm -hmm. was super helpful.
0: Interesting. So then when you landed in LA, you know, LA is full of wannabes in every part of the industry. What, what was your break? What was your break?
1: Well, it's interesting because I picked editing at the time. Now, today in the modern world before the prehistoric days when, when I moved to LA, you know, a- an editing software comes with every computer. Everybody thinks they know how to edit. Yeah. Back then, we were still editing on film. Yes. So the good news was there was a certain amount of technical skill that was required or just technical knowledge right, to be able to do the job. So it's not like somebody who wants to be a director or, you know, or some other thing where it's like, you can just show up and think that's what you're going to do. Right. To be an editor, you really got to want to do it. So I think the competition was less. It was there. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I The only person I knew in L.A. when I moved here was our friend Andy Kubitz, right. who was here in L.A. at the time. I didn't know a soul. And I just started, <laughs> looking, started knocking on doors and looking for jobs. And the funny thing is I went down to the editor's guild, the union. I was not a member of the union. I hadn't done anything. Right. And I just walked in there. I said, do you guys have any pamphlets, brochures? I just want to find out you know, what I can do. And there was a guy, and I wish I could remember his name. You want know, to talk about encouragement, who was walking by some, I don't even know what his position was. And he was like, do you, you want to find out about editing? And I was like, yeah, come back into my office. So we sent back, I sat in his office and he said, tell me about yourself. I told him I just got out of film school. I'm looking to edit. Where should I go for that first gig? You know. And I said, some people told me maybe work in a, in a, in a tape machine like at a lab somewhere and he was right. like no don't do that yeah Because you will just be a tape operator he goes you want to go around to editing rooms put your resume there knock on doors of editing rooms he gave me a couple of addresses and gave me a free t-shirt and i walked
2: wow. out wow and I was, he
1: didn't have to do that he was just walking <laughs> right by. literally right. as i was at their front desk he was just walking by with a cup of coffee and heard me say like i'm just really interested in editing what what can you tell me and he, he took the time to say, yeah. come back to my office for 10 minutes, which was nothing for him, yeah. but was everything for me. I mean, wow. so it's those little moments that are just fairly amazing.
0: So um, that kind of leads to my next question then is, have you had moments where you've had to discern between someone's actual true encouragement for you to do what you wanted to do, or are they putting on an expectation of you for something they want you to do?
2: Well,
1: not really. Mainly because I, again, I was so focused on the post-production world and I was willing to do anything in post-production. So I will say the only thing that's sort of in this category is one of my very first jobs in post-production is what's called a telecine operator. I don't even think they really have them anymore because this was back in the days when you would shoot on film, Mm -hmm. but you were still editing on a computer. Mm-hmm. So, the telecine was this big machine. You would put the, the, the negative up and you would create videotapes to, to log into the computer. Right. And, and so, I, I worked on big films as a telecine operator. I worked on The First Mission Impossible.
2: Oh, wow. I worked on Independence Day.
1: Okay. You know, so that's when all these films were coming out. And so, I was meeting all these like assistant editors who were the people who were bringing us this right. footage. And so, I'm constantly trying to get their number, get their contact information, you know, but my bosses, did not like that, mainly because mm. they wanted to keep me there. And I knew I didn't sure. really want to stay there. I was just there for what I could do. So I was there much longer than I intended to be. I was there like a year and a half. And I'll never forget one day I talked to a guy and I he was giving me his phone number. He was, yeah, call me sometime. And literally my boss is like grabbed that piece of paper out of my hand and was like, yeah, we'll, we'll take that number. We'll take that number. So the guy left. I chased him out into the parking lot and got his number. He was the guy who, he called me a little bit while later and said, they're looking for apprentice editors, which are basically like free interns. Right, right. At Roger Corman's. Roger oh, Corman is wow. a very famous yes. Movie producer. Yes. And he said, they're looking for inter- for apprentice editors over there. Here's the name of their person you should call. And I did. And I ended up apprenticing over there, left the telecine job. So they didn't want me to leave. And they were putting up those roadblocks. Mm-hmm. And I refused to let them put up those roadblocks. I chased that guy out into the parking lot. I called him and he said, yeah, I have something for you. And I was working over at Roger Corman's, you know, two months later, uh, which was really the start of my
2: career.
0: What an amazing story, because I hear this from other people too, other creatives that I've interviewed. Sometimes, you know, in our careers, it's easy to get sidetracked and it's easy to be doing things that we don't really want to do but we stay doing it cuz it pays mm-hmm. the bills, right? And so what I've heard from you and from other creatives is you have to stay true to what you know you are meant to do. And when you stay true to that and you follow that, that's when those you know, those doors that you're knocking on are going to start to open.
1: This is very true. On the other hand, I often say this to people cuz people come out here to LA and they're looking to get into the industry in whatever field and you know, they're like, I mean, listen, I was parking cars on the weekend for a living. I was selling newspaper subscriptions over the phone. I still have to eat, I still have to pay my rent. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so early on, you're gonna take these jobs. And there's no shame in that.
2: Yeah. As
1: long as you're you're continuing to do what you you know, what you want to do in terms of I'm gonna give you another example. You I, I won't mention any names, but you know these two people. When <laughs> I first moved out here to LA, I was roommates with two of our classmates from college. Okay. One was a writer. One was a musician. I'm out there knocking on the edit, you know, going to the editor's guild, knocking on the editors. The one writer was sitting in his room, writing his screenplay, which was fabulous. Mm -hmm. The other guy was sitting in his room, playing his guitar, writing songs, but never doing anything. So I would say to the guy, why don't you go to like an open mic night somewhere? You know, they they have, you can go and like, maybe someone will see you. Mm -hmm. And he never would. And then, my other roommate, who's a writer, Andy, got him a mm-hmm. job as a, as a page at, at, uh, at, at CBS. And there were a couple of shows that were looking for writer's assistants. And I said, there you go. Like, take try to get that job as a writer's mm-hmm. assistant. Mm-hmm. And he was like, writer's assistant. You know, they weren't willing to sort of, like, put in the effort and do the sort of beginning job. They wanted to start here.
2: yeah.
1: And you can't do that. and And now however many years later the the writer i know moved to phoenix to study software engineering Mm. which i mean i hope he's happy but that's a waste of a talent because he was so talented Mm. and the musician also very talented he does occasionally i think have a band that plays weekends but he's working some other like regular gig because he just wasn't willing to yeah so you've got to be willing to go all in on what you want Granted, you still have to work those jobs because you've got to eat and rent's got to get paid and that there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to just keep doing what you're doing. Which One I, other brief story I'll no, tell. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No,
0: go ahead. Well, this
1: is sort of related to encouragement or, you know, being, being taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. When I was working at Roger Corman for free, I was working on shows, working at nights and we were working on the Avid, so the computer editing system. And I was an apprentice, so I wasn't getting paid. I was working Mm -hmm. nights, I was learning. I was learning how do you digitize material into the computer, all the simple stuff. That's I was learning, that was great. Well, in the room next to us, there was another movie going on from Roger Corman as well. And I got asked one day, there was like the assistant editor, which is one step up from the apprentice editor, who normally is the person digitizing dailies and things like that, they were going on vacation, but there were some dailies coming in from a pickup shoot or something. Would I, the next couple of nights, digitize that for them? Sure. And my fir- I got to tell you, selfishly, my first reaction was, well, what's in it for me? Yeah. I'm not getting paid. I'm yeah. not learning anything new. Yeah. So why? But then I just like, something inside me said, you know what, They need. they need it. Sure. You know, right. why don't I do it? Right. Well, the apprentice editor on that show was also the post production coordinator in the main office. She wanted to get into the editing oh. bay, so she was apprenticing to learn. So, when you're digitizing dailies, once you learn how to put the tape in and what, how to do all the settings, and you set it to go, you then sit for an hour as that yeah. tape digitizes. And yeah. so we would for two nights we did this, and we learned. I met her. I mean, I sort of had seen her around the office, didn't really know her. Met her, chatted with her. She had just, I had just come down from Vancouver. She had lived in Seattle, so we were talking about that. So a couple of nights, we, and I really got to know her, she didn't know me before. I mean, she might have seen my face, but she had no idea who I was. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks later, she gets a call from this production company saying, hey, we're looking for an, a, a runner slash assistant editor. Doesn't really need to know, have much experience, but just needs somebody who's who's a gung-ho. And she was like, I, I know the perfect guy for you. Yeah. And I went over there. I got hired as an assistant editor getting paid for the first time at this <laughs> company called Royal Oaks entertainment. And within six months I was editing over there wow. because they loved me so much. And their staff editor kind of got let go. And I had already cut some trailers. Cause I, again, as soon as I showed up, I said, I'm your assistant. Do you need a trailer cut? Any editing you need, you need something done, sure. count me in. Cause I want to, sure. I want to move up. And six months later I was editing and, and the rest is history. Yeah.
2: And definitely. the funny thing
1: is that that woman mm-hmm. was Christina I met her years later at one of my best friend's weddings. I was the best man and she was there and I was dancing with her on the dance floor. And I told her that story and I said, you've changed my life and you have no idea. And she was like, honestly, I barely remember making that phone call. It was just another day for her. I said, yeah, it was. It was just another day for you. Like, yeah, I know a guy. Maybe he'll, you know, here, we'll call. And I said, but it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. So one of the things I take from that is now that I'm in a position where people come to me sometimes right, right. and are like, yeah, what can I do? What path can I take? Can you help me? I always try to encourage. You want to talk about encouragement? It works both ways. Yes, it does. I've been encouraged to be where I am. I send back that encouragement as much as possible. Yes. I always tell people there's no one path. I, I can tell you how I got here, but yeah. everybody gets here differently from where, you know, it's there's no one path. But I, t- I encourage them always. I tell them, you know, I try to give them that same speech that that guy at the editor's guild gave me. Ah. Here's things you should do. Here's things you shouldn't do. You know, this is the best I can tell you and good luck. And I always encourage. Mm.
0: That is just priceless. I mean, you know, as creatives, I I get the desire to just kind of stay in my own little bubble and, and work on my craft. You know, I get that. Right. But I think this is where if you if you were If you were networking before the pandemic and you were social before the pandemic, you were doing all of those things, you know, to get yourself connected to the people you needed to be connected to in order to get where you are. What I know for personal experience, because I was like you kind of going out there, introducing myself around, you know, making my own way, I was not afraid to put myself out there, not afraid to do any job kind of thing for a long time. Then when the pandemic hit, and i had to kind of flip everything to online and everybody went online i was sort of like well this is just a new opportunity this isn't a bad thing you know as far as my business and as far as my work it just it's an opportunity for me to learn a new way to do what i need to do and that leads me to my next question how did you stay how did you stay afloat during the pandemic yeah, I- but then how also did you stay creative and encouraged and moving forward in your career
1: Well, I was I was very fortunate in the sense that right when everything shut down, I was only a couple of weeks into editing a feature that had already finished shooting. Mm, And I was so I had to I just took all my computer equipment home and I edited from home. So I had like another month of work. Okay, that just continued as normal. We did everything remotely. So it didn't really change for me for the first month. Then we went. You know, two or three months with nothing, no productions mm-hmm. were going. Yeah, but one of the things I had done smartly because I've learned my lesson in the past. When you're in a business like mine, and and, and any creative business is generally like this, it's feast or famine.
2: Yeah, it's
1: it. it you know, you you never know when you're going to be working constantly and making good money, or when you're going to go a long time. So I had set myself up in you know to have a, a nest egg you know, like a rainy day fund. Right. So when, when, once that, and I was luckier than most because I had like another month of work just finishing up that show that I was working on. And then, and then I just, you know, I dipped into my rainy day fund for the next two or three months. I also have a company that I do most of my work for and they got back pretty quickly. They did a, they did a film fairly early on in, in the pen you know, in the pandemic when we were allowed to sort of go back mm-hmm. to shooting and I was able to cut that. And I actually directed one in the middle of the pandemic, which was an interesting experience. But, but yeah, so I was luckier than most because my job was already kind of remote and isolated sure. and I sit in a room by myself most of the time anyway. So it didn't impact me as much as it might others.
0: Yeah. So are we allowed to say that you work with Hallmark and Lifetime?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Okay. I work I actually work for a company that does films for them. They right. acquire these films. Right. But the films I've worked on have been on on Hallmark, on Lifetime, on I have four, th- I think three Christmas movies or no four, coming out on Ion this year. Oh, you do. Those who Ion, and, and then and then we're doing another one for I'm working on a film right now for Up TV. Oh, so wow. we have lots of clients. We we've done two films for Netflix. We're sort of about ready to start another one. We think. Wow. So, you know, and then we do a lot of stuff for streaming now. This is the new thing. So yeah, and I don't necessarily only work for this company, but I've been fortunate that they have kept me employed for the last probably four or five years, almost exclusively, just because they always have something for me to do. And I really love working here. So I, I fortunately landed into that. That's also not that usual of a situation in the entertainment business.
0: So for people who maybe haven't been as lucky as you have and who are still struggling post-pandemic and who are still trying to figure out, like, how am I supposed to make a go of this? What can I do that feeds the creativity but also pays the bills? What encouragement or advice do you have for folks who might still be kind of struggling?
2: Well,
1: it's, it's difficult because pandemic or no, there, it's always especially in the entertainment business. And I'm sure the same is true in music, because nobody grows up dreaming of being, you know, like a postal worker. No one grows up dreaming that they want to, you know, work at a Walmart. Right. Not that those are bad jobs. Those are perfectly honorable professions, but that's not anybody's dream job. Right. What we do are people's dream jobs. And so the competition for those jobs are very fierce and the opportunities relative to the number of people who want those opportunities are very small i think you have to find your niche and and go with that one of the things that i early on in my career when i was doing a lot of like before i was doing a lot of tv movies i did a lot of like direct to dvd and direct to vhs movies when that was a thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and early on there was always this oh, i'm making these like awful direct to dvd <laughs> movies like i want to be working on the next you know theatrical release from paramount or something right, like right. that but but and and to some people that is the ultimate goal i ultimately decided as i got on in years that a that probably wasn't going to happen because most people work their way up from an assistant to there and i jumped to editing pretty quickly in my career yeah. So I've sort of like been in the sort of mid range. I'm like in the middle class of filmmaking. I don't make like really super cheap movies, but I'm not making the the blockbusters. I'm making these, you know, TV movies. Right. But I also realized that I've talked to some of my friends who work on those hundred, $200 million feature films and the stress and the pressure and the politics are so intense. And I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty I'm good, good right where I am. I get to do what I love for a living. I get paid well. I am well respected by the people I work for. they they respect my my work and 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 I don't know that I can ask for much else than that. Yeah. I will say one thing. you said somebody who's been as lucky as me I actually don't really believe in luck. Ah. Ben Ben Hogan, the great golfer Ben Hogan, once <laughs> said that that golf was a game of luck. and he said, and the strangest thing was the harder he worked, the luckier he got. And I really believe that to be. True. <laughs> right. Right. I you probably remember even when I was in college like I a lot of people got upset with me because I'm always like focused and let's work and we want to make this the best Yes. And, like I'm making my own opportunities. Right. And other people were like we just want to have fun. I was like are well, like have where's fun the beer else this time? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I on the other hand part and luck is really be putting yourself in a position so that when the opportunity comes, you're able yes. to take it. Yes. And listen, it's not an exact science, you know, so, but like people who say, Oh, I'm so unlucky. They, they think they're unlucky because, Oh, an opportunity presented itself, but they couldn't take it because of X, Y, Z. Right. And some things are beyond their control, obviously, but doing the best you can to position yourself so that when the door open, you knock on a bunch of doors, eventually one of them's is going to open
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you have to have the ability to step through. Right. And I think that's what I've done. And that's why I, have been as fortunate, I'll say that, not lucky, as fortunate as yeah. I have, because I work so hard to get where I am and take advantage of every opportunity that I can.
0: Yeah. See, this is why Including we're friends. When somebody says, yeah. What's that? yeah. This is why we're friends, do, do because we're, we're 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 very much the same, you know, we're, you know, <clears throat> crusty old Gen Gen X, you know. <laughs> And and we work, we work, we work, we work, and we create the opportunities rather than sitting around waiting for somebody to call us up and say, "Hey, do you want something cool to do?"
1: That's right. That's right. You've got you've got to do it. And in a in a job like mine, when because because I'm an editor, and assuming that that's what you wanted to do, or any other individual job where you're not a producer in the Mm -hmm. entertainment business, Mm -hmm. it's difficult to create your own thing. Like because my editing requires somebody else to have done something somebody right. has shot something that they mm-hmm. need to put together so i can't unlike musicians or if you're your own producer or director you can write your own script and yeah. go out and shoot it yourself nowadays that's so easy because the technology is there for you that you can do on your on the side you know and, and and just keep that creative juices flowing but i have to tell you in some of my downtimes, with before i've been as busy as i am i would do things like when there was nothing to cut i'd be like i call every actor friend that i knew you need a new reel? I'm ready to cut your reel.
2: Ooh, you know, yeah. what, what
1: What can I do? Like, because then I, they would say, oh, I really do need a new reel. I was like, great, yeah. I just have something to do. Yeah. And I'd, you know, be friends of mine. I'd give them a great deal. I was like, let me, just, let me just spend a week cutting your reel so that I can at least be sitting in front of a computer editing for that week yeah. as opposed to not. Yeah. So whatever field you're in, if you're not, if it relies on other people creating stuff first, like mine does, it is more difficult to just right. do it out of whole cloth. to have to have somebody else doing it but networking is so key networking is so key i'll tell you this with one single exception every single job i've ever had in my career every single one has been as a result of somebody recommending me through degrees of separation based on four directors that i was assigned to work for when i was at royal oaks that i was telling you about when i got that first assistant job right i was assigned the directors because i was on staff there as an editor Those directors would recommend me to somebody and sometimes two or three degrees of separation. One time I've got a call out of the blue and it was for a Hallmark job because I'm on Hallmark's approved list now. Apparently there's a list somewhere. (laughs) And they contacted me and said, we're looking for an editor for a Hallmark (laughs) film and you're on the list, are you interested? And that was the only time I've ever gotten a call out of the blue. Everything else is like somebody's recommended me because they've worked with me before. Because who's going to hire somebody out of the blue? They're going to call their friend and they say, hey, who have you worked with that you recommend? I need somebody. Right. And they'll say, oh, call this guy. That's why it's also important, no matter how crappy the job, no matter how low the pay, no matter how just awful you feel, you've got to give every job 110%. Yeah. Because I don't care if you're just delivering coffee. They will remember there was that gung hole guy. It's like me in, mm-hmm. in the thing. Like, who do you know? Oh, there's this guy. He was really enthusiastic. He stayed late and did this mm-hmm. thing. Let's give him a try
0: yeah and and not only that but you know not only be willing to do any job but you still have to be really good at your craft and continue to improve being good at your craft if you have a good body of work that's also going to start to sell itself eventually
1: for sure i learn on every job i do if Mm -hmm. i'm not learning and i've been in this, i've been editing for 25 years i mean not to date ourselves but (laughs) and And I learn every day still. I try to learn something new on every project I do, because otherwise, what's the point? I always try some new technique I haven't tried before. What can I do differently here? And I love to learn from directors who shoot things interestingly. Now, we're in TV movies. It's a little bit more formulaic than you might get on an indie sort of Sundance film or on a big 200 million dollar blockbuster. But especially when I direct some of these TV movies, you try to do something a little bit different, a little bit stylish. And try something interesting and see what see what happens.
0: I wanted to ask you about that. I wanted to ask you about your experience directing because that has a whole mm. nother side to it. It's a whole nother realm of creativity. How has directing been mm. for you? Has that fed kind of that need to be more in charge, more mm. like more in the mix rather in the in the actual real time, like let's create something rather than on the other end of post-production?
1: I'll tell you what it feeds for me that I don't get editing, it feeds a sense of camaraderie.
2: Uh. I am
1: part of the team always as an editor, but I sit in this room and then the yeah. director will come in and I'll work with him or her. And then the producer will come in occasionally and I'll get notes. And then I get notes from the network, but nobody ever comes in. Right. And so I don't deal with very many people. Whereas on a crew, when you're directing, you know there's whatever, 100 people or whatever are around you that, that, that are working with you. I always consider myself an editor who occasionally directs. That Mm -hmm. is my self-identifier because editing is always my first love. Mm -hmm. When I directed that one film I was talking about back in film school, the thing I had difficulty with was dealing with actors, like making a shot list and everything, which also was very much my editing mind Mm -hmm. was a piece of cake. I knew the shots I wanted. I knew how it was all going to come together. But dealing with actors was difficult for me. 25 years later, I think I've learned enough from editing for 25 years that I now know, I think, how to talk to actors and how, and how to get performances and everything. So it's something that I like to do. This company lets me direct, you know, a film a year or, or every other year, depending, whenever they have one that that's, and my schedule allows, mm. which is great because I like to do it. I'm, I'm actually talking about doing another one maybe uh, next summer mm. uh, or, or might even be a little bit in the fall. We'll see. It's, it's come up before that doesn't happen because it just, all the pieces have to like fall yeah. into place exactly yeah. right. Yeah. to work. And yeah. that's fine with me. As long as I can sit here and edit, I'm I'm happy. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, we have to get to, usually my guests on the podcast share their top five songs of encouragement, but you've shared your top five films. And because of copyright and YouTube and all those wonderful things that we have to honor, which is great. What we're going to do actually for this, for this last segment is I'm going to put up on screen the in most cases the movie poster and then we're going to listen to 10 or 15 seconds of the theme music from that particular film but then i want you to be able to talk about why that film made your cut of your top five either most encouraging or inspiring films so here we go this first one is wow (laughs) this brought back some really good memories i had not i should go back and watch this film i I will at some point, Rear Window, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window featuring James Stewart and Grace Kelly. Oh my goodness. And we get a look at Raymond Burr too as kind of the villain in this film. Go watch the movie. If you have not seen this movie, this is a classic. Here's just a few seconds of the theme music from this film Rear Window. there but talk about why that film was so crucial for you
1: one of the the, the thing that i took away from that film well first of all it's, it's a brilliant film yeah. well regarded as a classic but it really showed me the importance of a point of view in a movie yeah. as an editing choice as well i often make choices in editing and it's like sometimes a director will shoot something and i'm like no no that doesn't work because it's not from the character's point of view that we're following you know depending on what you want to do and that film like literally almost literally with very few exceptions the camera never leaves his apartment yep everything is from his point of view everything is on long lenses you know Raymond Burr until he comes into the apartment yeah. spoiler alert Everyone should yeah, watch yeah. this movie yeah like you only see him across the way yeah in you know little tiny as you would if you were watching a guy across yeah. the courtyard from your apartment and that film is like it's so fantastic how they they manipulate the point of view and the audience only ever knows what James Stewart knows Mm -hmm. from looking across the way yeah and uh, I I thought that was brilliant and I I use what I take away from that is always asking ourselves whose point of view is this movie whose story are we telling that's really crucially important.
0: Well, and the power of point of view in terms of what a character is seeing because there's a lot of there's a lot of space in that film where there's no dialogue and it's you're just watching a scene unfold that he is seeing from his apartment window Absolutely. into another apartment window and there's no dialogue. There are so <laughs> many great scenes that have zero dialogue, but they're great scenes. Yeah. Right. All right, we're going to move to this next one. This is almost similar in terms of, you know, sights, sounds, you know, things like that. But this is another classic film, Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn. This is Wait Until Dark, the theme song here. This is really, a really intense sound that you're going to hear in some of the music, but go watch this movie. This is a, another incredible film. <laughs> And for those who write film scores, I have friends who do film scores. This is Henry Mancini. And yes, this was Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn. Talk about this film.
1: Well, the thing that I, that I took away from this film, and you, you sort of already hit upon it, was how important sound can be and the soundscape of a film to like really bring the audience along to what you want. I mean, for those who don't know, this film is about a blind woman mm-hmm. who gets terrorized in her apartment. Yeah. And one of the things she does ultimately is, is they, they turn off all the lights in the apartment. Right? They break the lights or whatever it is. And so it's, the film is all in complete darkness yeah. for a, a portion. And the audience just gets the sound. And sound is so important in that film about telling the story. What, what are you gonna come back to again and again? And I, I haven't really touched on this, but the thing that I love about editing the most and what drew me to editing is the power of the storytelling. Mm. To me, that's the most crucial thing. It's it's always my, when I'm editing a scene, I'm like, you know, what is this scene telling us? What what, what part of the story does this tell? Is it making sense? Mm-hmm. My job, as I see it, is to always tell a story in the most interesting way, but in the most clear way.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: not a big fan of ambiguous storytelling, unless yeah. it's on purpose. Yeah, But I find too many, nowadays, too many people are like ambiguous for no reason other than they just think it's, hip to be ambiguous yeah. i like clarity of storytelling and uh, and and but in this film in particular the sound really ex- again when you have no visuals just the opposite of what you described in your exactly. window where you yeah. had long passages with no dialogue and only the visuals this one has long passages with no visual and only the sounds right. of what's going on in that apartment and they do it so masterfully yeah with that as you pointed out that wonderful henry mancini score yeah brilliant yeah, This is the second film, I think the second film that Audrey Hepburn was nominated for an Academy Award for, and oh, yeah. quite rightly.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen that film, I would have to go back and watch, I don't think I've seen the whole thing from beginning to end. I would have to go back and watch it. I have seen clips, and I went back and re-watched several clips, and I was like, man, I'm just going to have nightmares now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're gonna move on to the next film. This is a a classic as well, but a little newer. This is Chicago. And this, I took a, rather than doing the theme song, I couldn't find some, the clips that I wanted for this. So I took a cut of all that jazz because this is, I mean, who who can argue with this performance by Catherine Zeta-Jones? Here we go. (laughs) talk about this one
1: well it's interesting that this one is the next one up because in addition to obviously the sound is super important in this movie i'm a huge fan of musicals this Mm -hmm. is one of my favorites okay also point of view is really important in this movie unlike more standard hollywood musical of yesteryear every musical number unless it's on a stage show like what you just showed is from roxy's point of view it's her Mm -hmm. imagining world as if it were a musical right and that's super important and actually there was a cut number from the movie with mama with the catherine zeta jones but they cut it mainly because they said you know what where is where is roxy she's not seeing this oh. we can't have a musical number she's not seeing it and it's a really good number i think it's an extra on the dvd it's a wonderful okay. number the actors are fantastic but it didn't work and i was like that's right that's exactly right you can't have that because you're mm-hmm. not seeing it from that point of view But the real reason this is on my list, more so than the other ones which have things that I've, this was just so brilliantly edited. I walked out of that film in the theater and I said, we have just seen the best edited film this year. I was talking to a friend of mine who's also in that And he agreed and it won the Academy Award that year for best editing. It was so brilliantly edited and, I am not a fan of any of the top three actors in that film. Yeah, I am not a fan <laughs> of Catherine Zeta-Jones. I'm not a fan of of Richard Gere, and I'm not a fan of uh, what's her name, who's the excuse me at the moment, Renee Zellweger. Yeah, I'm not a fan, really. A fan of any of those. Love this movie; it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and they're all great in it. So yeah. the editing was just so superb, yeah. uh, but all those other things fall into place as well. Which in any great film, it will. You know the the you know the the sound. Telling the story, obviously, in the musical yeah. aspect, the point of view is super important in this movie, but also just the brilliant editing of this film is what, why this, it's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, there are so many layers going on. I can't imagine what it took to edit that or, you know, even just put together some of those scenes because there was so much going on.
1: It's a little frightening. <laughs> I have to say, when I see it, I'm like, I can't, I'm can't. trying to imagine if I was editing that film and I'm like, that's no. a lot.
0: Yeah, That's
1: a lot. But they did a great job. They did a great job.
0: We're going to switch gears to another classic and everyone will know this one by the music and this is a great little clip. to stop it there (laughs) talk about this (laughs) well the reason this
1: movie's on my list this was the movie that got me interested in movies oh Um, and and not just me there's an entire generation yeah of of people of filmmakers who were inspired by this movie yeah i was 10 years old when this movie came out the perfect age for this movie i saw the summer of 1977 i saw this movie had to be five or six times in the theater and this was before mm-hmm. the days where people went to the theater yeah my mother thought i was insane she oh, was sure. like don't you know the dialogue by heart right now and i was like yes <laughs> i do and i'm I gonna go again, again. <laughs> i want to go again it just like it showed you what movies could be and you have to remember at the time what movies were yeah in the late 70s there was a lot of not that these movies were great but movies were like the godfather yeah. Movies were like you know a graduate driver yeah exactly yeah. they were more gritty more down you know you had downer endings mm-hmm. you didn't have the john williams score yes. and that ushered in an entire era of those late 70s early 80s yeah. popcorn feel-good movies but that's the movie that made me say maybe this is i mean i still didn't really believe you know the flint michigan kid yeah that i could do it but i was like this would be great if this is what you could do for a living mm. and it just made me fall in love with movies. Mm. it absolutely made me fall in love with movies
0: is that your all-time favorite and movie so, then
1: I, man, it's so hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. what My all time favorite movie is because I have so many.
2: Yeah.
1: But it's got to be up there yeah. y- just because it inspired me to, it yeah. inspired my love of movies. So without that movie, yeah. I don't know that I would have been in love with movies a- yeah. as much as I am, you know? So yeah. every other film I've seen, I might not have ever seen them. And, and who knows what I'd be doing? I'd be yeah. digging ditches for a living.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> not to <that> do <there's laughs> anything wrong with digging ditches for a living. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're gonna move on to this last one flavor. that's right that's right hey so this film three the three days of condor this is the theme song and you know we're looking at a, a really wonderful picture here but listen to this he music one
2: good looking man I yeah, tell I t- i'll tell you what
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> this music though is pretty amazing i have to say so we're gonna listen to a 10 second clip and then i'll let you talk about the film Okay, there's a vibe for you.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a '70s a soundtrack if I ever heard.
0: It. I love it. Yeah, I mean the thing,
1: the thing about that film is, I had heard about it for years and years and never seen it, and I finally watched it. Probably that's of all the films we've just shown, that's when I saw last, I think. Mm. And the thing I love about that film, and again, this comes back to the storytelling. There's such a layered storytelling it's like it's one of these films it's probably the first one or maybe the best example of like you know peeling the onion Mm -hmm. you know you start on this level peel the onion and you realize there's something else underneath it and then you peel that back and there's something else underneath it it also has one of my favorite scenes which doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie he's in uh, robert redford's in her apartment and he's holding her hostage essentially trying to figure out what to do and she's a photographer Mm -hmm. she's all these black stark black and white photos on the wall and he finds it very fascinating he he critiques just like the meaning behind these photos he was like there's no people in your photos it's empty park benches and leaves with no trees on it and he describes it as november Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that just i love november yeah i love empty park benches i love black and white Trees with no leaves on them you know and i was like yeah november <laughs>
0: that's awesome so when when someone let me ask this question then because you know when someone is giving you material and they're giving you notes for the editing and they have a certain a certain specific something that they're trying to accomplish and you're like i'm eh, not so sure that's the right thing to do how do you right. how do you navigate those conversations how do you go back and say you know i don't think that's what you really want
1: well it's 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 funny because in the hierarchy of making a film in at least in the post-production aspect of it i'm actually at the bottom of the totem pole right i do the first cut then the director comes in and they'll di- give notes and you're you're basically only allowed to like Fight one level up. So, mm-hmm. i'll if I don't like something the director is trying to do, I will have that discussion. I was going to say argument, but argument's too severe. You just yeah, have the no, discussion. It's a, it's a, a conversation. And I explained yeah. myself. I was like, hey, you have a conversation. Like this is why I think what you want to do is wrong, or this is why I think cutting this is bad, or or we should cut this, and this is why. And then sometimes you win those arguments, and sometimes you don't. Ultimately, yeah. it's his or her film, right? And then the producer comes in and gives their notes, and. You know, the director and I will sit down to do those notes and we'll talk about them and I'll still give my opinion. But ultimately, it's the director's decision, which of these notes, because you can't argue every note. If you argue right, every right. single note,
2: you're out of you're not going to listen
1: to anything you have to say. You've got to like, you've got to like pick your battles. Like this yeah. one, I don't like it, but it's not that big of a deal. This one, I really want to argue. And so the director will argue that with the producer and then we, then we send it to the network. And when the network has notes, it's up to the producer to decide which of the network notes mm-hmm. he wants to push back on. If any, sure. but the good the good news is it doesn't happen as often as people think. Unless you're in a lot of trouble, with, like your film is just not working. Mm-hmm. Generally, you, you know, every everybody sort of agrees. I mean, like if there's a bad actor in your film, everybody sees it, and you know you have to cut around them. Yeah. There's rarely story elements that are that are arguable. Sometimes, and then sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. I've had to learn long ago that once I've had my discussion with the director about i want to do this or i want to do that and you shouldn't do this like at that point i'm kind of just pushing buttons to some degree however the other thing that's important to note in this aspect of editing is sometimes the producer or the director even or the network certainly will come back and say this scene isn't working we feel like this isn't working and they don't really give you anything more than that yeah and so it's up to me and the director and the producer. To like, well, how do we address that note? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, oh, can you lift this line of dialogue? Sure. It's out. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, can we move this scene around? Sure. But if it's like, this scene isn't really working, we feel like this relationship isn't working, what can we do? You know, it's up to me to figure out. And sometimes they'll give a specific note. And I say, that's not really, really bothering them. What's bothering them is what comes right before it or right after it. Whoa. And so you adjust those things. You don't sure. touch the scene they've actually complained about. You adjust around, show it to them again. They're like, great, love what you did, love how you fixed it. And you haven't even done a thing that they mentioned, but you fix it around the edges because you realize what's bumping them.
0: Yeah. And see, this is where the the experience, you know, the years of experience come in and the wisdom and the creativity come in in what you do, because someone who is a novice is not going to know that.
1: It's it's true. It's it's absolutely true. I do I do think, I mean, I've I've been doing this for a long time. And I certainly I I learn all the time and I've I've got a lot of experience and, and, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge. But even early on, I think to some degree, and this is probably why the forces of the universe pushed me into this direction. I do like when Roger Bullis said best edited film I've seen in 20 years, student film. He's seen 20 years. Like, I I think I have some kind of innate ability in this. And I don't know if it's just the years of watching movies and I just absorb how films are cut. Maybe that's it It just sort of subconsciously, you know, and you would think like as an editor, you would think that, oh, I have timing and all that, but I don't, I have no, <laughs> I don't have any timing of music <laughs> or anything like that. I'm like, oh, sure, bad. I can't dance on the dance floor to save my yeah, life,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, but I just, it's, I, I I can tell how the beats of a story come together, you know, and I sort of, I think that's just the years of watching those movies, starting with Star Wars and, and to, the, to the present day.
0: But I think there is a gift there. I think there is an innate ability that you probably were born with and that you've honed over the years, not only through observation and watching other movies, but by working your craft and producing great work year after year.
1: Well, for my specific job as well, and I think this might be true for music as well, in addition to just being good at your craft and learning and, and, and doing the best job that you can get, you have to be willing to sit in a room with no windows for 12 hours a day, weeks on end, and not see anybody. And not everybody is like wired that way. They like need to have people around or they need stimulus. Yeah. I sit in a dark room yeah. all day long and uh, for weeks on end and don't really see people.
0: I've always That's known okay you were special.
1: You. <laughs> is, that, is that the term you <laughs> use? <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I had to. We're friends. Anyway, wow. This has been an insightful and really fascinating conversation. I so appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you would want to share with the audience about encouragement or anything else, anything you want to leave us with?
1: Always be searching for that next opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems so obvious, but there are many people who don't Realize, and you won't get every opportunity, and that's okay. You won't, you know, you will try for something, and you won't get it, and that's okay. You keep trying. There's a great movie I'll recommend. It's not on my list,
2: mm. but it,
1: I love it because it came out when we were in college. I love it because it's about a guy who has a dream, and he keeps getting shut down, but he doesn't give up. and He tries the next thing. He gets shut down again. He tries it. It's Rudy with Sean oh, Astin. It's yes. a sports film. Yeah. It's a sports film. And, you know, but it, it's really about a guy who has a dream mm-hmm. and he's trying to, to make it happen, like, but, you know, he wants to play for Notre Dame, but he doesn't get into Notre Dame. Okay, well, a lot of people think, okay, I didn't get into Notre Dame. Dream's over. Yep. So he goes into, like, Notre Dame, like, side school that they have, mm-hmm. which is easier to get into. So he does mm-hmm. that. And then that gets him ultimately into Notre Dame. But then he wants to get on the football team. He doesn't make the football team. Well, I'm going to work harder. Next year I'm going to try again. And then he makes the football team, but he's not in on the first string, so he's sitting on the bench. You know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And ultimately in the end, it's all based on a true story. It really happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. The last game of the season, when he was a senior, this was his last chance. They, they put him out on the field and he played for Notre Dame. Yeah. And he got his dream. And this movie is just really well done. but Because it, it can mean everybody has a dream. And everybody gets obstacles put in your way. And you've just got to try to navigate around them. And sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. You know, hopefully yeah. it's two steps forward, one step back. Eventually, yeah.
2: you
1: know, if you work hard enough and, de- and you know, really devote yourself, anything can happen. If I can do what I want to do for a living, if I can be in the entertainment industry doing Hallmark TV movies mm-hmm. and Netflix TV movies, and I'm some punk kid who grew up in the Rust Belt <laughs> of Flint, Michigan, without a chance uh, of doing any of this, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You just got to apply yourself.
0: Yeah. Great, great advice. There's a lot of persistence and a lot of creativity and just a lot of hard work and putting the head down and and doing, getting the job done. And, you know, any industry, that's great advice for anyone. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much, Randy, for being a guest on Sounds of Encouragement on the podcast. I know you and I will keep in touch, but for now, that's the end of this particular episode. Thanks to everyone who has tuned in or is watching on the YouTube channel. And you can find out more if you click on the show links, you can find out more about Randy's great work and all the stuff he's doing. You mentioned, by the way, Randy, that you have some projects coming up, but is there anything that you want to mention, like? Anything to watch out for this December? You have Christmas stuff coming out?
1: Yes. There's one in particular. I have I have several, but there's one in particular that's really kind of special. It's going to be on ION in December. Oh, I could be wrong. It might be actually in November because, you know, they play Christmas movies yeah, even yeah. now. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: But it's called The Case of the Christmas Diamond. Okay. Maybe you can find out and put it in I'll try and link, link it. about when. I think it might be late November. It's going to air. It's kind of like an Agatha Christie type Jewel Heist Mystery set around Christmas. It's really a lot of fun. It's cool. Really a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll look for it. And again, thank you so much, Randy. I appreciate your time. Everyone, thanks for tuning in to Sounds of Encouragement. If you need encouragement, you know where to find me. You can email at soundofencouragement at gmail.com or reach out to me on socials. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Please click on the show notes to learn more about my guest and to listen to their top songs of encouragement. If you have found value in these podcasts, please share the podcast with those you know, leave a positive review, or support the show at buymeacoffee.com. Sounds of Encouragement is a podcast production of Music Grow LLC, part of growing musicians and teachers everywhere. Sounds of Encouragement is hosted, produced, and edited by Melissa Slocum. To get in touch, contact Encouragement at gmail.com. You can also find Sounds of Encouragement on Clubhouse. Drop in weekly for a dose of personal encouragement. Theme music by Melissa Slocum and Steve Tressler. Music mixed and mastered by Steve Tressler. Thank you to Steve Tressler and Christina Lopriori who encouraged me to do this in the first place. And remember, I'm here for you so you can be there for those who need you the most.